And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello everybody and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 320. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. My name is Tom Harris and welcome along to the show. And yes, uh, we're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin. It has always been true. It shall ever be true. Well, at least as far as I know. Uh, Anyway, so welcome along everybody to the show. And then sorry about the... uh, fill in episodes for the last few weeks and of course my uh, personal business is now done settled I guess and and so now things can more or less get back to normal I hope but anyway yeah so uh, yeah I've been traveling and being out of town and then coming back and then being busy and all this other crap and of course it's a, it's it's actually feels really good to, to be back in the seat again and uh, recording a show for y'all. Before we get started, I just wanted to uh, mention a comment that we had, and we actually had it some weeks ago, and I just hadn't gotten around to mentioning it. Remember a few issues ago where Thor had lost his powers, and I made a comment about the hammer not shouldn't also lose its powers? Now, I'm still sticking to that opinion, but... It was brought to my attention by one of our listeners, and that would be, of course, Chris Bendorf, one of our good friends uh, living over in Ireland. And uh, Chris brought it to our attention that we've seen this happen before. This happened way back in uh, The Mighty Thor, number 145. There was that uh, six-issue story, 145 through 151, where uh, Thor's powers had been stripped away by Odin being a dick, and uh, it involved the uh, Circus of Crime, etc., etc. Anyway, interesting story. It's actually my favorite Circus of Crime story, probably the only Circus of Crime story that I actually liked. But I, I remember liking those issues quite a bit. And uh, he mentioned that, that in the course of those issues, uh, Mjolnir had lost its abilities. Now, I would point out, though, that the Circus of Crime wasn't going around lifting Thor's hammer. And as a matter of fact, Kirby seemed to go to a lot of trouble not to show the hammer being lifted by somebody else. Now, I don't know if that was deliberate, but there's only one place in there until the very, very end where the destroyer tries to grab the hammer and and can't hold on to it, where it, it shows Thor handing his hammer over to some police officers. He had been arrested. But we don't actually see the police officers take the hammer. So it's really interesting that it happened off panel. I'm going to assume that they did. But I think that even Kirby kind of had this idea that nobody but Thor should be lifting Thor's hammer. So I I don't think I'm completely wrong. But Chris, you are correct. Yes, we've seen that in the past. And uh, Chris uh, also pointed out to me that I was in error about something in my review of Avengers Infinity War. Now, don't 
you know, don't don't get the idea that you can correct me. Just no, no, I'm just kidding. No, if I make a mistake, you guys can correct me anytime because I know I'm useless with research sometimes. But uh, Chris pointed out that the uh, the children of Thanos, Thanos's flunkies in Infinity War, were not actually created by Jim Starlin. I think I'd kind of given Starlin some praise for coming up with this. Uh, okay, I take that back. Uh, Starlin didn't create them, but it does seem to me that some of them are very Starlin-esque. So. I, I, I'm going to stick with my opinion that they are Starlin-esque. Chris, of course, is correct that they were not created by Jim Starlin, and so I need to take back the, the praise that I lavished upon him. So, Jim Starlin, you can blame Chris for the lack of adulation that you're getting from the show now. <laughs> Anyhow, so, uh, yeah, back to the grind. Gosh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been like four or five weeks or something since I've recorded an episode. So, uh, let's go ahead and move along to our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You behold in breathless wonder the god of thunder, mighty Thor. Thank you very much, 1960s cartoon theme show singers. And we are, uh, yes, this week we are covering The Mighty Thor number 399. Has a cover date of January 1989, retailed for 75 cents. Cover art is by Ron Friends and Ricardo Villagran. Shows uh, Thor and the Earth Force and Hogan and Bess. And they are uh, kind of rushing forward, and there's an image of Odin in the background. Very well, very well inked, I would say. The very well inked image of Odin in the background, looking all grim, uh, with one eye blacked out. And uh, the Thor has his hammer up like he's getting ready to fight. Yeah, it's a, a very dynamic cover, very uh, typical of this era, as far as the sort of Kirby-ishness of the... Um, the poses and that kind of thing. So uh, if you recall, uh, just uh, they, they've been fighting this, this war against Seth, and that's been going on and on and on, and now they've discovered that Odin survives, and he had been held prisoner by Seth in his Black Pyramid, and maybe we'll find out how he got there in this issue. The cover blurb says, Odin lives, and Asgard dies. And we open up to the splash page where we have a kind of Kevin Maguire-ish sort of drawing of several people looking up at the camera. And among the people that are looking up are Eric Masterson and his son, Kevin. And uh, there's a, um, a woman uh, in, in a green uh, jacket saying, look, up in the sky. And uh, no, they're not being excited about a bird or a plane. Uh, there's a guy uh, saying, no, it's not possible. And Kevin says, what is it, Dad? What's going on up there? I'm, I'm not sure, Kevin. And we uh, have the credits here. Tom DeFalco was the writer. Ron Friends was the penciler. Romeo Tang Hall did the inks on the inside. Rick Parker did the lettering. Max Shield did the color. And Ralph Macchio was the editor. We then have a two-page spread of... It's clouds over New York City, which may seem like a weird thing to do a two-page spread of, but these clouds are very 
uh, much shaped like battling armies up in the sky, and it's a it's at least a nice gesture as far as you know. If if it's just symbolic, I mean it's just symbolic, but it actually looks like they're uh, you know the armies are fighting in uh, the sky, and the people below can see there's lightning kind of shooting out all around the clouds. Somebody's saying. Uh, it seems to be a fantastic illusion created by this unexpected electrical storm, writhing clouds in the shape of gigantic warriors who are locked in some kind of titanic struggle. If I believed in mythology, I'd say that the gods were at war, as indeed they are. And we uh, shift scenes to another part of New York City where we find the evil Loki who has uh, appeared in an alleyway while uh, everybody else in the in the scene are running away, including uh, Eric Masterson. And uh, Eric Masterson is thinking to himself, I don't want to alarm Kevin, but I'm convinced those clouds are a lot more than some freak manifestation. Come on, son, let's find cover before we're caught in a downpour. And Loki is uh, eavesdropping, and he's looking up at the sky, and, and he's thinking to himself, Run, mortal, but no shelter shalt thou find this eve. None can hide from the brutal conflagration which now threatens to consume the light of life. Not even the fabled immortals of Asgard are safe. Seth, the serpent god of death, has vowed to ravage the universe entire and bring an end to all who live. Even now, his savage legions are laying waste to the Golden City as the noble defenders of life crumble before the irresistible hordes of death. If they had any sense, my Asgardian brethren would flee in stark terror. With naught but mere strength and courage, they seek to defeat the sinister serpent god. And we shift back to Asgard, where we have Baldur in his new uh, light brown hair form. And we have the Celtic gods of Avalon, including uh, uh, Lear and uh, and others, uh, which we haven't been introduced yet. Uh, Baldur says... Stand ye ready, our enemies attack. And Lear says, The Celtic gods of Avalon are ever prepared for battle, Norsemen. And uh, Baldur's thinking to himself, Lear knows not that I presently possess the power of Thor, which of utmost necessity I borrowed to protect Asgard, though it left the Thunderers might halved. My name is Baldur, Celt, Baldur the Brave, the Sovereign Supreme of Asgard. And he uh, picks up a giant rock, that is, Baldur does, and he flings it at the storm, apparently. Uh, and uh, Lear is thinking to himself, By Danu, he hurled that massive chunk of debris as if it were a child's plaything. You have done well, Baldur, says Lear. Now stand back. Watch in wonderment as the sacred spear of Lear, the Lord of Lightning, shatters your missile, so that the skies rain molten shards of stone and metal upon our advancing foemen. And he does that, and we see the metal shards raining down upon Seth's army, and his uh, his Jaffa and Gold are going, Arr! and they're being uh, hit by all this melted metal. Uh, we then shift to see what various other people are up to during all of this, and we have Sif and Tyr, and they're fighting on the walls of Asgard, and Sif says, Lear and Baldur have done their part, Tyr. And we shall do ours, Lady Sif, says Tyr. And uh, there's uh, Lorelei, and she's with uh, one of the, the Celtic gods called Caber, and apparently knows his name, which is kind of a, kind of a story in itself, I'm guessing. And uh, Lorelei is like, hurry, Caber, we must push back these invaders. 
They shall not pass, Lorelei. And it says here, For a timeless time, the battle rages, fast and furious. And then Lear says, Behold, the enemy falls back. Now is our time to crush them. No, they may want us to follow them, says Sif. Bah, I am not afraid, says Lear. Only a coward would stay behind and meekly await their next attack. And only a boisterous fool would race into such an obvious trap, says Tyr. Enough, says Balder. Cease this petty bickering at once. For countless generations, Celts and Asgardians have been hereditary enemies, but we now fight in common cause for the preservation of life itself. And Balder is uh, is doing all this in, in the background. We have uh, Volstagg, who seems to have lost his hat, and he's thinking to himself, Poor Balder, methinks he could use a helping hand. And we have a, a little bit of narration here. Even as Dagda, the Celtic druid, steps forward, other eyes observe the Lord of Asgard with intense interest. The, we have some people watching this uh, scene that's going on here through a cosmic voyeuroscope of some description. And uh, it looks like hag, but it's I guess it's the, the druid. I'm not really sure how that works. But anyway, this is, Behold, my lady, Balder still lives. But not for long. <laughs> oh, it is hag. Uh, we, we turn the page and we see it is, in fact, hag. And and the Norn Queen. Um, this is definitely post the Balder, the Brave miniseries. But now we have the Norn Queen and she is back. And she is looking very much uh, similar to the way she did in her first appearance. So uh, she's got all Endora on us, folks. We get a full page here of her standing with hag in front of her and standing behind, kind of wringing her hands or something. And it says, In the cavern kingdom of the Norns, the witch queen Carnilla ponders the fate of the gods she prizes above all others. Be silent, you old hag, says Carnilla. But she's thinking to herself, She's right. Asgard is destined to fall beneath the fangs of Seth. But what of Baldur? All my magics are needed to protect my own kingdom and to keep my people invisible and undetectable to the invading hordes. I cannot risk revealing our presence to Seth, but yet my heart demands that I aid my love. But how? How? Where do my true loyalties lie? Am I not a queen above all else, or only a woman in love? And we shift scenes, and we have another full-page picture here. And this is Thor and Bess and the others, and they are dragging Odin down from he was uh, hanging by his arms from the ceiling. And we have a little bit of a caption here. Meanwhile, an incomputable distance away, the top level of the Black Pyramid, which stands at the very center of Seth's dimension of death, is the scene of an unexpected but no less poignant reunion between father and son. And Thor is kind of pulling Odin down and trying to tear his chains off. And, and Odin's like, Thor, I knew that you wouldst come, that never wouldst thou forsake me. Odin, says Thor, I had almost despaired of ever finding thee. I don't get it, Hogan, says Erethord. If this guy is really Thor's old man, what the heck is he doing here? I cannot answer thee, Erethord, says Hogan. When last we beheld the Allfather, he was battling the giant fiery demon known as Surtur, one of the major elemental forces of evil, and they both toppled down a cleft in the ground which led across the plains of reality into the extra-dimensional realm of Muspelheim, a land of fire. We get a reference here to Thor 353. 
This is all very touching, says Bess. But let's not forget that Seth's people are still searching for us. Aye, we must escape this dimension and return to Asgard, says Thor. Then shall there come an ending to the accursed abomination that is Seth. Father, let me remove these bindings from thy wrists. No, there is still much thou must learn, my son. But wait, I fear our enemies have found us. And there's a big blam, blam coming. The door's being battered down by someone or something. And we have Grog, who's the, uh, the god crusher, uh, as such as it is. And a couple of uh, big giant dudes wearing purple and green. Uh, it's kind of impossible man colors, but they're wearing sort of lion masks. So it's kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, the Black Knight is there and he says, It's Grog and an army of monsters. This one doth grip my hammer like an iron vice, says Thor, and uh, the, the, the thing has grabbed his arm uh, with his hammer in hand. Struggle is useless, Thunder God, says Grog, for now you face the demons of despair. We then shift scenes, and we are in a uh, place far, far away from the fighting. Uh, we have Seth, and he's in his, um, like a, his, his headquarters, and he's got a tent there. And um, says, at this precise second, many dimensions distant on the hill overlooking the besieged city of Asgard. Ah, so we know, we know, we know where it is. It's an unimaginable distance away, as the previous page said. The Asgardians have beaten back another attack. This campaign may last weeks, maybe months. Seth is the most patient of gods. All adversaries eventually succumb to death. But I am anxious to see Asgard fall. And uh, we go into the tent, and uh, who should be there laying on a big pile of furs but Amora, the Enchantress. And Seth says, I see that you have recovered from your ill-considered attempt to assassinate me. Seth, I prayed that thou wouldst come so that I could beg thy forgiveness, says the Enchantress. And she's trying to, she's trying to do the old femme fatale thing. Let me live, spare my life, and Amora the Enchantress will be thy obedient slave forevermore. Think of the dark passions that only I can unleash, the secret lusts that only I can satisfy. Come, feel the gentle caress of my burning lips, and the lethal thrust of my hungry dagger. And she tries to stab him with her dagger again, and that doesn't work so well. Seth reaches out, grabs her arm, uh, smashes her arm into the ground, and she's in this weird pose that doesn't look like it's actually anatomically possible, but okay. And Seth is like, uh, Foolish goddess, did you think me so easily seduced? Even if you had succeeded in striking me down, death cannot die. I will always return, growing more and more powerful with each incarnation. I could easily obliterate you with a casual gesture, but I have other plans. And we ship back to where Balder and company are, and there's um, lots of armies there and fighting, and who should show up but Seth? And he has the Enchantress tied to a, a sort of a rack sort of thing, like a, looks like a clothes rack, like, like you'd hang coats on or something. Anyway, and Seth says, Balder, I offer you a chance to end the siege and save your people. In public assembly before all those present, I challenge you to single combat for the supremacy of this realm. Refuse me, and this innocent hostage will suffer for your cowardice. 
and the Tyr is there and uh, among the uh, gods of Avon, etc. And Tyr is like, my lord, you cannot, you must not, the risk is too great. Aye, but honor demands that you accept, says Lear. Even if you should prove victorious, Seth is not to be trusted, says uh, one of the other ones. My sister's life is at stake, says Lorelei. Why dost thou delay? Tis a trap most obvious, says Sif. A serpent like Seth would never agree to a fair fight. Be silent all, says Balder. The decision is mine, and mine alone. And as the ruler of Asgard, the safety of my loyal subjects must come before all else. I have no choice. And Balder goes striding forward, apparently to accept the challenge. And Lorelei is in the background, and, and she looks very determined. And she's thinking to herself, Never fear, Balder. The magics of Lorelei will secretly aid thee for the sake of my sister. And we shift scenes to Seth and Balder, and they are... Um, I don't know. It's not really an amphitheater. It's just sort of a clearing in the wreckage and the getting ready to fight. And Seth is standing there and Baldur's approaching with a club in his hand or a scepter. Or I think it's a scepter. And um, Seth is saying, So, you have finally found the courage to face me. We shall fight under the sacred rules of fair single combat, using but simple weapons and strength of limb until only one of us remains alive. So be it, says Balder. We shall not employ any of our godly powers. Now that we have agreed to the terms, let the battle begin. And the two of them start fighting. Just as that happens, some of the Gwawul Jaffa uh, army, they pull out blowguns. Like, and, they're, and they're shooting Balder in the back with little darts. And it says here, but even as the serpent god lashes out, warriors who have been secretly hidden from view suddenly take aim with special blow guns. And and Balder, as he stings his back, and he's going, Oh, I am struck from behind. Prepare to die, Balder, says Seth. And Balder's thinking to himself, What's happening to me? My limbs grow heavy. My brain clouded. I had hoped you would provide we with greater sport. When you fall, so shall your beloved Asgard never to rise again, says Seth. And Baldur's like, Nay, I say thee nay. Asgard must endure. Asgard shall endure. And he uh, punches uh, Seth back with a double-handed punch, a la Captain Kirk, and, and smashes uh, Seth back. Uh, Seth is stopped by a, a nearby wall, but you shall not, says Seth. You shouldn't have pushed me behind this wall where the spectators cannot see me. Now no one will know that I discarded the rules of fair combat to destroy you. Though thou hast broken faith, I am still bound by honor, says Balder. With naught but the strength of my good right arm, I can use my scepter to deflect thy infernal blast and return it to thee. Seth is like shooting some kind of energy beam out of his hand and Balder deflects it right back at him and it hits Seth and Seth is going, Arg! And it says here in the caption, With mounting tension, the eyes of all Asgard are trained upon the raging battle. But at that moment, deep within the city itself, uh, we have a, a portal appearing underneath the city and there are Goa'uld soldiers pouring through it underneath the, the city itself. They say out loud, Seth has left nothing to chance. While the Asgardians are distracted, we shall secretly enter their city and ensure its downfall. 
And they're all going in. And we then shift scene, and we are back in the dimension of death. So basically in the Pyramid of Seth, where we have the Earth Force. And we have uh, Skyhawk and uh, Windmaster. <laughs> I think that's her name. The Earth Lord. And it looks like the Black Knight is also here. And we're also here with the uh, Lost Ones. And the, this is the, uh, the, the gods of Egypt that the Seth has stolen their power and uh, so we have uh, Horus here, and, and he's saying, uh, Seth stripped us of our godly powers and laid waste to our lands. Now we shall strike back. Get ready for action, Horus, says the Windmaster, while I blast our way inside by generating a high-pressure wind vortex. They, they all go running in, and and Wind Warrior's like, Let's move it! My friends, Earthlord, Skyhawk, and the others are still in here somewhere, if they're still alive. And Horace is thinking to himself, even though she claims to be nothing more than a mere mortal housewife, Wind Warrior possesses the courage and determination of a goddess born. And they go in and uh, there's battle going on inside. Uh, obviously the fight is still going on between uh, the armies and Thor and company. And they uh, come across the battle and Wind Warrior says, Listen, sounds like a major slugfest up ahead. Could it be your comrades, says Horace. Yeah, I'd say that's a safe guess. And it is, of course it is, and the, the giants are still fighting, and Earthlord's there, and Hogan and Thor and all the rest. The Wind Warrior approaches Earthlord, and he's like, Pam, Pam, you're alive! It's good to see you, Tile. Real good. You too, Skyhawk. And Skyhawk takes to the air, and he's like, Save the pleasantries, lady. We've got a war to win. Let's go, Earth Force. And uh, they, they go charging forward, and Wind Warrior's like, Dare I say? Wahoo! And we see the Black Knight, and he's here fighting in his weird armor, and he's thinking to himself, The ancient blood curse, which is slowly fusing me to my armor, which I just can't stop talking about, is also making it difficult for me to use my ebony sword to deflect these beams, and... Oh, no! He's, he's deflected the beam in a weird way. And he's like, look out, Bess. I accidentally sent one flying at you. And uh, Bess dodges it. Um, and he says, fear not, Sir Knight. Accidents can only benefit the god of luck. And uh, as he dodges the beam, it actually strikes down one of the, uh, the giants that's attacking them. And Odin is standing there kind of wrestling with these Goa'uld. You can see a few defeated ones behind him. And uh, he, Odin's thinking to himself, Bereft of his godly powers, my son is in mortal danger. To my side, Thor! Do not face such Thors alone, he says out loud. Tis too late, father, says Thor. Already they seek to overwhelm me. For thou, Thor, doth lack his immortal strength. He shall find a way to triumph. And we uh, shift back to Asgard, where we have the fight between Balder and Seth continuing on. And Seth is saying, uh, Death is inevitable. Why do you continue to struggle against it? What do you fear? Balder hath no fear of death, only a deep and reverent love of life, he says. Uh, Orlai is kind of lurking in the background. Looks like she's casting some kind of a spell. And she's thinking to herself, Now that I've arrived without being observed, I shall secretly aid Balder. And behold, assassins lurk behind that distant wall. And Lorelei uh, comes lunging out, and she's like, Balder, beware! 
There's a trap. Seth never intended to. Arg! And the assassins are going blam, 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 and shooting their uh, laser rifle things. And they all strike Lorelei. And the boulder's like, Lorelei! And it looks like she's hit. And Seth uses that moment of distraction to blast Balder with a uh, golden sort of, of ray beam. Seth says, Bah, the time for pretense has passed. That stupid woman may have taken the projectiles meant for you, my friend, but her futile sacrifice has only served to distract you. And uh, Balder's being blown back with a parthoom. And we got some people there, there's watching and not participating, which is kind of weird, but the Sif and company. And uh, Tyr's like, Baldur's undone. Sith cheated, says one of the Celtic gods. Aye, he has disgraced the warrior's code, says Lear. Hurry, we must quickly gather a strike force. And uh, before Sif can say anything else, there's a giant Bartoom. And a big explosion, and we see that the uh, the Goa'uld have invaded uh, the city itself. They've broken through all the walls, and they're amongst all the Asgardians in in the city. And the guards are here, and they're they're yelling, "The invaders have breached the walls of the inner city. Their war machines are already butchering our." And Sif is uh, kind of weighing in with her sword, and she's fighting alongside Lear. Lear is uh, throwing thunderbolts at everybody, um, and Sif is saying, Seth has truly caught us unprepared. Aye, his savage legions are already flooding into the city. And Seth is uh, crying here, and, and she's fighting at the same time, and she's thinking to herself, Though my brain reels at the thought, I fear that the serpent god has finally bested us. Asgard has fallen. And we uh, shift to where the battle between Balder and Seth is still going on. Balder is kind of laying on the ground like he's helpless. And uh, he's, he's feeling sorry for himself, so he's whining uh, in his thought balloon. I, I have failed my people and myself, unworthy of the power which I siphoned from mighty Thor. By sheer force of will, I must quickly return it to him before... Before, Seth is standing over him with a uh, a knife attachment on his stump, and it looks like he's going to uh, cut his uh, shirt off. And he's got a, his fist is glowing like iron fist. And uh, Seth is saying, uh, "Do my eyes deceive me? Are you still straining to survive? Let me alleviate your sufferings and sorrow, and grant you the eternal bliss of oblivion's embrace." No. No, I shall not go gently into your dark pit, says Balder. Blasphemous fool, do you really think I was giving you a choice? And he takes his hand and he shoots some sort of a gold ray beam at Balder. But Balder has vanished, so it's like he's teleported away or something. But anyway, uh, he misses him because he's, he's vanished. And Seth is like, huh? He's like, what sorcery is this? The body of Balder has vanished. Bah! It doesn't really matter, because at long last, Asgard is mine. And yeah, we see the inner city of Asgard in flames, and there's, there's armies fighting inside. 
And at the same time that happens, Thor's strength comes back. So we see like uh, Thor's strength kind of pouring back into him, like uh, the speed lines just kind of uh, flooding him. And uh, Thor is, uh, he notices that this is happening and he says, I suddenly feel new strength, new power surging through my limbs. No, no, that can only mean that my godly powers are returning and Baldur the Brave is dead. And he goes, arg! He kind of lashes out and sends the whole army flying in every direction. And he's like, he was the noblest as guardian of all. Death to those who would slay him. Death and destruction, says Thor. And he's all mad now and he's whipping around his hammer and he's smashing everything. And it's got to the point where even his allies have kind of gone hiding here. Uh, the Earth Force is hiding behind a wall and they're like, uh, yo, get back. Thor's gone bonkers. Sire, I have never seen him in such a state, says Balder. Never before has all he held dear been in such dire jeopardy, says Odin. All-consuming is my grief, says Thor. All-encompassing is my fury. And he's uh, doing his best to uh, smash all the uh, people. Whipping his hammer around with a uh, crack-a-boom and uh, just kind of tearing down the pyramid all around them. And he's shouting out, I am the mighty Thor. God of thunder and warrior, prince of the golden realm. May the enemies of Asgard gaze in horror at my awesome power. And may they all be swept away in the unrelenting storm of my righteous wrath. For now I strike in the honored memory of Baldur the Brave. And there's a giant Quam. And the top of the pyramid is all blown off. And we see uh, you know, everyone standing there uh, because the fight is over. And Odin is standing there kind of clutching his chest, and he says, uh, My son has proven victorious, but my heart, it suddenly feels as if I were trapped in a cold and crushing grasp. This surely is a sign that Asgard is dying. Hogan, says Odin, we must summon a dimensional warp at once. It has been done, sire. And Thor is here with them now, and he says, Father... I am ready to return to our homeworld and wreak a terrible vengeance. No, my son, the others shall go, but thou must needs remain behind. What? says Thor. He's, he's not understanding this at all. Why, father, why? Sith has managed to journey to Muspelheim and imprisoned me before I had completed my battle with Surtur. In truth, the binders on my wrists were power dampers, which hid me from the fiery demon. Now that they are gone, Surtur can find me. Uh, and he, he's using his power to uh, destroy the, uh, the the wrist things that he was wearing. That's why he wouldn't take them off earlier. And we get a, a scene. I think this is actually a, a direct steal from a Kirby panel from uh, a, a much earlier issue of Thor. Uh, of Odin, he places his uh, hands on, on Thor's chest and he says, Thus, my son... I must impart all of my Odin power to thee and charge thee with thy greatest mission. I understand, father, says Thor. Fare thee well, flesh of my flesh. We may never meet again. And the thing says as Odin vanishes from the dimension of death, we have a bunch of fire coming up from all around uh, where the pyramid is. Thor says... A distant pillar of menacing flame doth suddenly crack the scarred surface of this cursed land. 
and the billowing stench of brimstone doth now assail my nostrils. Tis surely the mark of the foe my noble sire didst foretell. Tis surely the mark of Surtur, the flame demon. And indeed it is, we see Surtur, he's bursting up out of the ground, a giant burst of magenta and orange fire. And uh, Surtur is like, Where is the cowardly lord of Asgard? Where is Odin? I have come to conclude our centuries-old battle. He is gone, monster, says Thor, gone to fight in the defense of life itself. In his stead stands the mighty Thor to accept thy challenge and battle thee unto death. Next issue, the dramatic conclusion to the War of the Gods as Thor takes on Surtur, Odin's challenges Seth, and much, much more. Don't dare miss, lest the heavens perish. And, and that is Thor number 399. We will be talking about this issue right after this message. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? And we're back, and of course we have a few things to say about the issue, as we always do. So yeah, so we finally get some action here in the story. Well, there's this been a lot of action in the story, but it's mostly been sort of armies battling each other, and now we actually have some real things going on. Uh, the, the rediscovery of Odin, who disappeared way back during the Simonson era. Yeah, I mean, it's really a long time ago when you think about it. It's, what, 50 issues ago almost? Yeah, Odin was gone for a really, really long time. Uh, but anyway, uh, we got uh, this whole uh, battle with uh, Seth going on. Odin is back. Going to talk a, not a lot about the story, just because it's kind of a by-the-numbers story. It's nothing special it's just a continuation of what we had before the little mix-up we get or i said the little twist we get here is uh, thor now facing off against cert uh, carrying on the uh, battle started by his father back in uh, thor 353 and yeah uh, a lot going on and uh, it, it's kind of cool now i'm uh, gonna say a few things about the artwork and not all of it is positive you, you guys know I like Ron Friends, right? And I and I keep finding myself in the uh, unenviable position of having to to criticize his his artwork. I thought that with the new inker, maybe we would have an improvement in in the artwork. And if anything, I think Romeo Tang Hall is just not really up to the task. Now I don't know if this is Tang Hall's fault or if he's working from very very rough pencils. Um, there are times when the inks look really good and the art looks really good. Um, we actually have, uh, in the beginning of the issue, some really nice inking with a very firm line. It's almost as though we have a, uh, like Mike Royer or one of the better Kirby inkers 
uh, inking and, and really doing a nice job filling in blacks and, and making it look good. And then as the issue goes on, we get like these really thin lines. It's like a, it's, it's a very stark difference between some of the inks that we're getting. Uh, for example, on the, uh, like the page where we have uh, you know, Carnilla and Hag, um, which is it's a really gorgeous page. Everything looks fantastic. And then the very next page, it's, it's just kind of there. You know, uh, it's, it's, I, I can say it's kind of a Coletta-ish look. And I don't know if Tang Hao was going for a, a Coletta-ish look. Uh, I would hope not because, you know, I mean, there are better inkers than Coletta out there. But it does seem that he's going for lots of little lines. There are some times when I think he's trying to emulate the inks that Sal Buscema did over himself uh, when he was penciling the book. But it just doesn't look good. Um, one of the things that, that Friends is doing here in this issue that I, I've noticed, and I haven't really noticed in prior issues, is that if you have a scene where you have characters who are there, Friends just kind of sticks their faces in where they'll fit. So, so you have this weird picture here of, of Odin being torn down from his chains by Thor and Bess is standing in the foreground. And then in between uh, Thor's legs, you have you know, the face of, uh, of Skyhawk. And then right behind Odin, you have just the face of, of Earthlord and, and you have Hogan standing there as well. Now, granted, they have dialogue on the page, uh, so they should be there. But it just seems like some of the layouts are a little bit forced. We forgot to put Hogan in the picture here, so we have to just fit his face in between Thor's legs or something. So it is, yeah, it doesn't quite work for me. Um, we definitely have some very sketchy inking in here. Uh, for example, I'm looking at page 11, uh, which is where uh, Odin uh, is uh, is freed and, and there's something you know, bursting through the wall. This is right before Grog comes back. And all of the characters are really sketchy. You can't really see their faces. It's a rush job if I've ever seen that. But then on the very next page, you have a beautiful page of of you know, the Enchantress and, and she's you know, going to fight Seth. So it's very, very inconsistent. We have some pages that are really, really well inked and some pages that are really, really poorly inked. Now, the, the ones that are, are better inked tend to be the full page spreads and the double page spread that we have. But uh, Sif in particular is having some issues in this issue uh, as far as just the... She's off model. I think that's one of the, the worst things here. But uh, we also have these Celtic gods who seem to be really hard to draw. At least they seem to be really hard to draw for, um, for Ron Friends because they're not consistent. Uh, they look different from panel to panel, and that's one of those things that drives me crazy. You, know, you can't get the, the, the length of their hair right. You know, it's changing all the time. You know, the Asgardians are very uh, you know, consistent, but not the Celts. So maybe they're just wild and their hair changes a lot or something. I don't know. We do have some layouts here, too, that, that seem a little bit rushed to me, a little bit uh, not good, I guess. I mean, they're very, very by the numbers. And uh, we have the, the scene here of, of Balder right before he disappears. Again, we have both uh, very clunky sort of, of layout, and, and the composition is not good. It's just kind of, you know, very literal composition. There's nothing really creative about it. And then we have... Uh, 
the, the inking, which just makes it even worse because it's so sketchy and there's really not uh, much going on. Um, so I have to say, Tang Hao probably picked this up as an assignment at the last minute. It seems that some pages look really good and then he ran into some deadline issues and uh, and so there's some pages that are just really, really weak. Yeah, I hate to complain about it, but, you know, that's the way it works. Uh, one thing I will point out, another, this is an inconsistency carried over from many, many, many issues ago. Um, remember Searcher had hooves, and he does not in this issue. He has toes. He's got, like, human-style feet. So I don't know if Searcher just has some really unusual taste in footwear, where he's kind of, you know, cramming his feet into these hoof-shaped shoes or something. I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's an inconsistency and one that I thought I'd point out because, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, pedantic like that. I like to point shit out. And I'm wrong about half of it, but, you know, that's, that's part of the fun anyway. Pointing it out when I'm wrong is all for part of the fun of the show. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's about it for this week, folks. It has been crazy, but I am glad to be back. And, and of course, next time, going to be Thor number 400. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, not really. It's a double-sized issue. You know how I love those. Anyway, and with that, I'm back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard. And we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review Send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>